service. I apologize. Thank you, Tim. I apologize to you, brother, back there, pushing buttons that you didn't need to push because I needed to push one. We're uh, in this series, as I mentioned, um, God's Transforming Power, Galatians 5. And in that text, we've been examining this pretty closely. In that text, uh, Paul is talking about these two oppositional forces. And those two oppositional forces are the uh, spirit of self and the spirit of the flesh, the way Paul words it. And that is what we have identified as this little kingdom or this kingdom of man where we get deeply rooted in ourselves, in self-satisfaction, in self-aggrandizement, all of these things over here, we get settled in that area. And then Paul says contrasted to that is this life in the Spirit, life in uh, grace, life in freedom, life in uh, everything that God wants to give you and provide for you over here in this life. So, and these two forces are kind of always at opposition they're pulling us, dragging us one way to the other. Do we follow the life of the flesh or do we follow the life of the Spirit? And Paul says it's basically your choice. Because out of this life, out of this little kingdom life that we live, uh, comes certain things, and he describes them. It's a pretty, pretty bad list, right? Uh, if that's the way you choose to live that life, this is what's going to come forth from your life. If you choose to live in the life of the Spirit, then these things will come forth from your life. So I want to invite you, if you will, if you have your Bibles with you, to turn to um, uh, Galatians chapter 5, we'll be getting at verse 16. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, take out your devices, uh, iPads, iPhones, uh, smartphones. We also have it in the, in the bulletin. We have it up on the screen. And I just want to remind you when I tell you all these ways that you can get the Scriptures, here's, here's my a plea for you every Sunday, and it's, what am I going to say? Read, Read your Bible, Okay. Read your Bible, okay? It's good for you. It's amazing. It's an incredible book. Read your Bible every day. So, uh, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. This is in the New Living Translation. Uh, this is the Word of God for the people of God. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite, there's that oppositional force, just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. Can I get an amen? Okay, yeah, you had a good week too. Uh, these are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under, the obligation, under obligation to the law of Moses. Next paragraph. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, when you dwell in this life of selfishness and uh, self-intention, when you're over here, this is what comes forth or comes out of your life. And then he gives a list. The results are clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. If your sin wasn't listed there, insert it there because it belongs there, okay? Uh, let me tell you again, as I have before, that every, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Very harsh words from Jesus. And then, from, uh, and then the last paragraph says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, okay? You live in the Spirit, the, the spirit of God, you live over here in the upper, what we call the penthouse, grace and uh, forgiveness and uh, freedom. You live over here in this penthouse. This is what comes out of your life naturally. 
And then he lists these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. This is God's word for the people of God. So this is our choice. Do we live in this life in the Spirit or do we live in this area of condemnation and self-striving? Uh, it's our choice. And based on, and choose carefully and choose wisely because whatever life you live, certain things will come forth from your life. And that's what we've been considering these weeks, um, the fruit of the Spirit. You already know what that other bad stuff is, right? We don't want to talk about that. But we want to know how, what is it that comes out of our life when we live this life in the Spirit. So we talked about love. And love, as we said several weeks ago, is always the default position of your life. Regardless of what other commandments are out there, and there's a lot of commandments, right? Regardless of what other teachings out there, regardless of what your convictions are, regardless of your preferences, all of these things are subordinate to a life of love, to living, loving like Jesus did. All these other things, the what I believe and who you are and what I think about you, all of those things are subordinate to love. So we ask the question, what does love require of me? And we've been asking you to ask that question every week. What does love require of me in my home, with my wife, my children, with my parents? What does love require of me at my work, at my church, where I play? And here's the hard part, the tricky part. What does love require of me with, with those who are different than me? And with those who have offended me and those who have hurt me, what does love require of me? This is always your default position. Before you get to any other I believes or any other I con I'm convicted about, you start there. What does love require of me? And then we looked at joy. And we talked about the fact that joy is completely different from happiness. Happiness is very much wed to circumstances. Joy is not wed. It has no connection to circumstances because joy is something that is deep within you. When you recognize what Christ has done for you, he shed his blood for your sins, you have been redeemed, you have been delivered, your ticket is punched for heaven, you have eternity secured. When you recognize all of those things deep in your soul, you can't help but be joyful. You may not always be happy, but you can't help but be joyful. That's where joy comes from. And then we talked about peace. Peace with God, the peace of God, and the peace that we bring to the world Whereas it's possible with all men, we are supposed to bring peace with them. And then last week we talked about patience. And some of you were impatient this week, uh, I've been told. And that's because you said, well, I think that's because I prayed for patience. No, it's because you were impatient, okay? It's not because you prayed for patience. So patience is patient waiting refines our character. It refocuses our purpose and reproduces Christ's character within us. Patience. The next fruit of the Spirit in this upper half, this kingdom of God kind of life, this freedom that we have, this living in grace, the next fruit of the Spirit is kindness. Now, I was told when I was a little boy that uh, kindness was something you give to all people, but the phrase I was taught, it was very, uh, you know, a lot of people talked about back in the 50s and 60s was this, that um, be kind to animals, okay, right? Now, I read an article this week that we didn't start making animals a part of our family till about 25 years ago. They used to be animals, okay? Now they're your children, you know, <laughs> go figure. 
But um, so uh, that's a whole other sermon, right? Uh, so, but, but I was told, be kind to animals. Uh, now we have a lot of animal lovers in our church. How many of you are animal lovers? Okay. How many of you love dogs? Woo! How many of you love cats? Boo. Okay. So, uh, but, uh, and what kinder act could you perform than adopting a pet? How many of you have adopted pets? Okay, that's awesome. I think that's awesome. So here uh, is a salute to adopting. Uh, the pet of the week is called, it's a tawny cat by the name of Pinky. And let's take a look. Yeah, hold on. This is Pinky. He's a male cat, domestic short hair. He's available for adoption. He's pet of the week, Placer County Animal Shelter. He's a very loving cat. Pinky. 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 Whoa. 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 Oh, we got a wild cat on our hands. Pinky, settle down, bud. Be careful, Colt. Be careful. Why don't I get a catch pole? Somebody get a catch pole. Oh. Pinky. Just sit over there. Get a catch pole. Get out for the ghetto. Yeah, because I'm not going to grab you. Oh, oh. Oh. Dude. I think it's caught up in the... Yeah, yeah. It's in the day. Ah! You got some back? You got a new... Pinky is still uh, available for adoption. Now that kind man from the animal shelter did not get rewarded for his kindness. But that's our world in 2014. There is a lot of inhumane, cruel things going on in our world. Road rage, bullying, cyber rage, Facebook fighting. It seems like common courtesy and kindness has been laid to rest with Mr. Rogers and Mother Teresa. It's not a very kind world out there. It's time for us, I believe, as Christ followers, those of us who desire to live in the Spirit, to live kind of in this upper half of the penthouse living that God wants us to experience in our lives, to stop whining about a lack of kindness in our world and do something about it, right? Can we do that? Okay. So it's obvious to all of us that our world is filled with hatred, selfishness, racism, and ugliness. Let's do our part to bring the presence of Christ into our world with kindness, with kindness. Um, Patty Putman uh, gave me uh, last week, uh, she said, I've got something for you the Sunday that you preach on kindness. Uh, Patty's husband, Mike, uh, who most of you know, uh, works at the, for the Phoenix Fire Department. And here is their slogan, their mission statement for the Phoenix Fire Department. It's this, prevent harm, survive, and be nice. It's pretty good right? Prevent harm, survive, and be nice. Pretty good definition of kindness. But let's look at the, the biblical definition of kindness. Uh, the word, the Greek word, is the word christomai, christomai, and it means kindness, goodness, sweetness. Um, it has this uh, kind of lilt to it. It has this kind of warmth to it. Uh, in other words, uh, if you were to look at the actual definition, it means love in action, you love somebody, you show them. That's an act of kindness. It's God talk coupled with God activity. It's the hands and feet of Jesus. It's love that rolls up its sleeves and gets involved. 
And like a fresh blanket of snow, kindness covers and beautifies everything it touches. Nothing, I believe, is more contagious than kindness. And my goal uh, in this message, uh, using the life and ministry of Jesus, is to infect 500 people at Hope Covenant Church with a kindness germs. It's, it's the start of what one author called a conspiracy of kindness. So are you ready for this? Okay, three of you are. Uh, that's good. Let's, are you ready for this? Yes, we are. So today we're going to do a little takeoff on CBS's hit television show, CSI. How many of you watch some version of CSI? It's all right. You can, God will love you anyway. Uh, so, I mean, there's CSI LA, CSI Las Vegas, CSI Miami, CSI, I think, Omaha, uh, Chandler. <laughs> it stands for Crime Scene Investigation, okay? We're going to change that today. Here's what we're going to change it to. We're going to change it to Christ Scenes Investigation. Kindness in action. Who better than Jesus to show us what kindness means? Not just the words, but the action. So we're going to look at four New Testament scenes, all in the gospel, and uh, see what Jesus does when he's confronted with situations that are pretty complicated and pretty complex. So here we go. Scene number one. CSI Jericho. Jesus and a blind beggar. And let me read you that text. And uh, this is a wonderful story. Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of Nazareth, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But the only, he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, Tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. He's calling you. you know, they probably thought, oh, what a waste of time, right? Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. I love that. That's the way we should all come to Jesus, by the way. Jumped up, threw his coat down, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go for your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see and he followed Jesus down the road. Isn't that an amazing story? I just love that story. The blind beggar's name is Bartimaeus. His little space beside the side of the road is his home. He's dirty Dependent, forgotten, ignored. When people saw him, they moved to the other side of the street. When, they, when he was yelling or help, asking somebody for help, they pretended they didn't hear him. How many thousands of people, perhaps ten thousands of people in his life had walked by him and he said, could you help me? And no one said yes. But today is different. Jesus is passing by. The one who gave light to the sun and the moon and the stars is coming his way. The beggar cries out. The crowd tries to shush him, but Jesus hears and he sees and responds with a kind of kindness that, well, we just don't see very often today. The man has never experienced this kind of kindness before. So what do we learn from this scene? Lesson number one, you can write this down in your sermon notes. Kindness notices. 
Kindness notices. It sees. It hears. It pays attention. The silent cries of the wounded and broken and hurting, the forgotten, the disillusioned, the discouraged, he sees and he hears their voice. Kindness finds a way to bring a beam of light into a dark world. So uh, when I was writing this sermon, this would have been a week ago Wednesday, I didn't realize that, I put in my sermon notes, you could see it, uh, illustration of Matt and Bree Kuyper. Okay, Matt and Bree Kuyper, a uh, young family in our church, uh, both came out of addictions, met each other, got married, uh, raising a beautiful family, but they wanted to give back. They wanted to, see, how do you bring light into the darkness of the world of addiction? Yeah, there, there's a question. Many of us in here are addictive people. And so we're constantly asking that question, how can we be the light of Jesus in a dark world that's filled with all of this brokenness and these addictions? Matt and Bree decided to do something about it. And so I want to introduce you to something that some of you maybe have never seen before. This is an introduction to what they call Hope House. Let's take a look. Well, she overcame addiction. Bree Kuyper's dependence on drugs and alcohol nearly killed her more than once. And now she is sharing her experiences to save others. Here's Pat McReynolds with tonight's Pay It Forward. Do you guys want some water? She still knows her way around the kitchen. But these days, Bree Kuyper is a visitor in her own home. This is God's house for people who want to find a new way of life. Bree started abusing drugs and alcohol when she was just 13, and after failing to conquer her addictions at numerous rehab and living facilities, she finally found one that stuck when she was in her 20s. At this ranch, I found safety and I found God, and um, it was placed on my heart at that point in my life that if I could give back to someone um, what was given to me that I wanted to be a part of it. So a few years ago, she convinced her husband to move with their two kids into a rental and turn their existing house into the Hope Home, a safe place for women recovering from addiction. She has any serenity right now. Wendy Sashone was one of the first residents, and 14 months of sober living later, she now helps run the program. I remember when I was still like thinking that I knew what was best for myself, and so um, it's a constant reminder that you know the person walking in, they're me. <laughs> The women live in tight quarters, follow strict 12-step programs, have curfews, and must attend meetings. But the atmosphere is far from jail. It's more like family. These women teach me more about myself than they know. Um, I'm constantly learning from them. She is a real dynamo. So impressed by what Bree has accomplished, her friend Debbie Mueller emailed CBS5 to spread the word. Everybody has a dream of something that they want to do, but most of us just keep dreaming and she's so young and she's jumped in with both feet. Hi Bree. Hi. <laughs> Could you step out here for a second? Sure. You two have opened your hearts and followed your dream to make a difference in women's lives, not just now but in the future too. So, on behalf of CBS Channel 5 News Pay It Forward program, I would very much like to present you with $500. Oh my gosh, 
much, you guys. $500 <laughs> to help with your repairs and daily expenses. Oh, wow. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Thank you so much. I'm speechless. I don't really I don't really know what to say. I just I think it's wonderful. Pat McReynolds, CBS 5 News. Another wonderful pay yeah. it forward story. If you would like to learn more about the Hope Home or even give a donation, we have linked it. How many Christ followers would say, you know what, I think I'm going to move out of my house and let nine women who need to transition from rehab to the real world come into my home and have Bible studies every day and encourage them to go to church and encourage them in their 12-step program. This is the kind of hands and feet of Jesus that Jesus did. And when we recognize that we have the ability to do the same thing, we have the ability to notice when somebody is hurting, to notice when somebody needs help and to do something about it. Kindness always stops and notices, and kindness always serves. Mother Teresa, when she was on the mean streets of uh, Calcutta, there were orphans and poverty. Everything was just terrible conditions, and people were starving and dying from all kinds of diseases. Somebody asked her, what does she see when she looks at the streets? This is what she said. I see Jesus in a distressing disguise. I see Jesus in a distressing disguise. Kindness notices. Scene two. CSI Jericho. Jesus and the crook. Let me read you a story about, if you've been around the church and the Bible a little bit, you're familiar with this story. This is a story of Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19. Let me read that for you. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he'd become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree, fig tree, beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house with great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. They had gone to be the guest. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. The crook's name was Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. In ancient Israel, the bottom of the list of taboo jobs was listed tax collector. He worked for Rome. He skimmed off the top. He was hated by his fellow Jews. He was kind of the equivalent today to a drug dealer, a mafia hitman. It was a Larry Flint or a Hugh Hefner. He makes money out of the disease and distress of human beings. And besides that, Zacchaeus just wasn't a tax collector. He was what? The chief tax collector. Now, somehow he had heard about Jesus. There had been a lot of uproar recently, and he was curious. He's just a little short man, so he climbs up in this fig tree and in his Armani toga, right? And the rest is history. 
Jesus looks up, Zacchaeus comes down, and he has invited himself, Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' mansion, Zacchaeus' mansion. Now, what's interesting about this is nobody ever goes to Zacchaeus' home. Nobody. I mean, the Girl Scouts don't go there. Do you know who lives there? The Mormons selling their, their, their religion don't go there. No one goes. In fact, Jesus' name in the guest book was the first name listed. But Jesus showed kindness to Zacchaeus. He was so hated. He was so unloved. And yet Jesus was able to give him his love. Lesson two, write this down. Kindness risks. It reaches out to those who don't measure up. It takes a chance on someone for whom everyone else has given up. It takes that person, instead of shaming and condemning them with a pointed finger, says, how can I help? How can I be your friend? How can I love you? Kindness takes risks. A few years ago, uh, we decided uh, that we wanted to do, we've, as you know, we've always tried to figure out ways to connect to our community. And we want to do a couple of things with our community. We want to serve them, certainly. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But even more important than that to us is telling them the good news of Jesus, how they can be freed from bondage, how they can be saved, how they can know Christ and, and, and have this amazing life. So we really decide how can we reach our community with the good news of Christ? So with the idea back in 2009 to take Easter to Tumbleweed Park. No one had ever done that before in Chandler, and no one had ever, well, not no one, but we had never left our church. I mean, how many churches abandoned their church on Easter? <laughs> we just walk away. We put a sign on the door, meeting at Tumbleweed Park. So we did that at great cost, with a lot of human, uh, a lot of human hours, a lot of, uh, you know, you have put in so many hours over the years, cost in publicity, cost in everything we do, the Easter eggs, the breakfast, everything. And we do all of that for one purpose and one purpose alone, to reach one more person for Jesus. Love always takes risks. It doesn't matter what the cost, it doesn't matter what the personal feelings are, it always takes risks. When you see someone or a situation that is untenable, that doesn't look right, that no one seems to want to touch it, when you think of Bree and Matt and opening up their home to nine women who need a hand up after they've gone through rehab, kindness always takes a risk. Scene number three. CSI Galilee, Jesus and a sick woman. Let me read for you from Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 24. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel her body. She could feel in her body that she had been healed of this terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that that healing power had gone out of him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. 
Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. The woman has no name. At least it's not recorded in Scripture. Her condition, though, is well known. She had a chronic, debilitating menstrual disorder. For a Jewish woman in the ancient world, nothing, absolutely nothing, could be worse. She, she couldn't bear children. She couldn't be intimate with her husband. And worse than that, she wasn't allowed in the temple. I mean, it's like even God abandoned her. She was out of hope. She was out of options until Jesus came to town. Now, Jesus was on an important mission. He was going to heal the daughter of the mayor. So, important person. There's going to be a lot of uh, crowds watching. There's going to be a lot of, uh, of goodwill out of this act of, of healing uh, the mayor's daughter. So, everything was good. He was on an important mission. He should, nothing should stop him from doing what he was called to do. But she gets close enough to touch his robe, and the faith that she had literally pulls virtue out of Jesus' robe. She feels power flow from into her, and she is healed. And Jesus responds by saying, who touched me? He knew that something had gone out of him. And in verse 34, and you won't find kinder words spoken in all of Scripture, Jesus says this, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. He calls her daughter. Did you know this is the only time in Scripture in the New Testament that Jesus calls anyone daughter? Can you imagine for the first time this act of kindness not only touched her eyes, she saw in a man something she had never seen before. And she heard words that completely changed her life and her body was changed. Can you imagine the thoughts, the feelings, the things that was going on in her heart? Max Lucado writes these words. To the loved, a word of affection is a morsel. But to the love starved, a word of affection can be a feast. And Jesus gave this woman a banquet. What can we learn from this scene? Lesson three, kindness affirms. Kindness encourages. It gives words of life. It doesn't cost you anything. Here's my thought for today. I wonder how many people, just from our congregation, can reach out to one person in the next day. One person. Maybe somebody you meet, somebody you know that's going through a difficult time, somebody that's sad or hurting or broken or lonely, what would it mean if every one of us identified one person and we offered a word of encouragement, a word of kindness, a telephone call, an email, a basket of cookies, something, somehow, some way to offer a word of affirmation because kindness always affirms. I want to look at one last Christ scene. Scene four, and it's this. CSI, Jerusalem, Jesus and his betrayer. You're familiar with this passage in John chapter 13. In this passage, Jesus is 
getting ready to declare once again to his disciples about what's about to happen in the crucifixion. They gather in an upper room. They're about to have a last meal together. And this is what John 13 says. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave his, this world and return to the Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. He'd always loved his disciples, but now he's going to really show them what love means by dying on the cross. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. You know what Jesus did? You know what Judas did? For a few coins, he betrayed the Messiah. And then he was handed over, Jesus was handed over to be crucified. But look what happened beforehand. In an, I believe, almost incredible act of kindness. So they were gathered in the supper room. The streets were dusty. The room was dusty. There was no servant there to wash their feet, which normally would be the case. Uh, none of the disciples that were there before Jesus arrived uh, even thought to wash others' feet. They thought, well, somebody else can do it, somebody that's not as important as I am. And so Jesus stands, he takes the towel in the basin. He knew that when he got to Judas that these were the very feet that would run away from him and betray him. I wonder what was going on in Jesus' mind when he came and washed each of the disciples' feet. I wonder what was going on in his mind when he washed the feet of Judas. I wonder if you've ever realized that this text doesn't say that Judas got up and left before Jesus washed their feet. You would think the text would say he washed all of the feet except for Judas. He didn't just preach, love your enemies. He lived it. Lesson number four, kindness shows mercy. It refuses to get even. Do you have someone in your life who has hurt you or betrayed you? Maybe a critic? The question is this, will you get even or will you show mercy? It's not too complicated. Seminary degree is not required. You don't need to know a lot about the Bible. What you do need is a little time, perhaps a little courage, a little money sometimes, a little motivation. And what you really need is a heart like Jesus. Our son, uh, Tyler Joseph, most of you know, uh, was killed on, in October of 1989. Motor, uh, bicycle car accident. Uh, the boy who was driving the car that hit him was a 16-year-old honor student from the local high school. The sun blinded him. He didn't see Tyler. Tyler didn't see him. It was an accident, but it was the car he was driving that killed my son. The next day, after uh, Sherry and I were beginning to work through our grief, which was a very long and difficult process, as you would expect, uh, Sherry said, I feel led by God to go to the Vanek's home. That was, his name was Bobby Vanek and his mom and dad and his two brothers. I feel led to go to the Vanek home and tell them that we forgive them. I said, well, I don't feel led to do that at all. 
She said, that's okay. I understand. But I, I need to do this. Well, you know how it is, guys, when your wife does the right thing and you've already said you're not going to do it. Well, you eat crow and you say, okay, I'll go along. We went to Bobby's house and um, they were shocked to see us. They were all there. We gathered around in a circle and we prayed that um, God would heal this family because they were struggling. They, they came to the memorial service. They sat in the back because they thought nobody would want them there. That's the way it was. And uh, we prayed over them and we offered them mercy and we offered them grace. Or at least I should say Sherry did. I did at a later time, but offered them mercy and grace. You see, kindness is not just a word. It's not just um, something uh, we think about. Kindness is literally showing mercy to another person. The Bible says in Proverbs 19.22 that God, kindness makes a man or a woman attractive. If, if you're single out there, if you want to attract somebody good, be kind, right? Kindness is a boomerang. Proverbs 11.17, your soul is nourished when you are kind, Proverbs 3, 3 and 4, never let loyalty and kindness get away from you. Then you will find favor with both God and people. Kindness makes us attractive. And more importantly, it makes God attractive. A cup of cold water in his name. For the last four days, 20 people from our church have been up uh, down in Mexico at Rocky Point building a house for that beautiful woman and her two children we showed you the picture of last week. Uh, they didn't do that because they thought they needed something to do on a weekend. They didn't uh, leave their jobs for a couple of days, not get paid for a couple of days' work. In addition to that, paying $300 because they just had money lying around. They did that because they felt a sense of joy and pleasure in a kind act towards someone who has so much less than they do. See, it not only makes Hope Covenant Church look attractive, it makes Jesus look attractive. When they're doing this work, when they're offering this kindness, when they're building this house, they're doing it in the name of Jesus. A cup of cold water in my name. Jesus is attractive. Kindness stops people in their tracks. Kindness forces people to look up. Kindness forces people to see Jesus. Steve Shogren uh, tells the following true story in his book, Conspiracy of Kindness. He said it was a typical hot summer day in Cincinnati. Joe Delaney and his eight-year-old son were playing catch in the backyard. Joe could tell something was on his son Jared's mind. Jared finally blurted it out. Dad, is there a God? Joe had the same helpless feeling he experienced on the high school baseball team when he lost sight of a fly ball in the blazing sun. He didn't know whether to move forward, backward, or just stay put. We've all had those questions with our kids, right? A string of tried answers raced through Joe's mind. In the end, Joe opted for honesty. I don't know, Jared, he replied. Joe's agnosticism failed to stifle his son's curiosity. Jared dug a little deeper. Dad, if there's a God, how would you know him? I really have no idea, Jared. I only went to church a couple of times when I was a kid. Jared thought for a moment and then headed for the house. I'll be right back, he yelled. I have to get something. Jared returned with a helium balloon fresh from the circus along with a pen and an index card. Jared, what in the world are you doing? Joe asked. I'm going to send a message to God. Airmail. The boy earnestly replied. Before he could protest, his son started writing, Dear God, Jared wrote all this out on the index card, If you're real and if you're, not, and if you're out there, 
send people who know you to dad and me. Love, Jared. Or love Joe. Yeah, love Jared. Joe kept his mouth shut but thought this was really silly. As Jared let go of the balloon, father and son stood with their faces to the sky and watched it sail away. Shogren continues. Two days later, I became part of the answer to this unusual inquiry. Joe and Jared pulled into a free car wash that our church was holding as part of our outreach into the community on this particular Saturday morning. How much? Joe asked as he neared the line of buckets, sponges, and hoses. Uh, it's free, I told him. No strings attached. Really? Joe exclaimed. But why are you doing this? Ah, there's the question. We just want to show you God's love in a practical way. It was that simple statement that opened a hidden door to Joe's heart. The look on his face was incredible. Wait a minute, he practically shouted. Are you guys Christians? <laughs> yeah, we're Christians. He replied, are you the kind of Christians who believe in God? <laughs> I couldn't help but smile, Shogun writes. Yes, we are those kind of Christians. After directing a big smile at Jared, Joe proceeded to tell me the story of the balloon with its message. I guess you're the answer to one of the strangest prayers God has ever received, Joe said. Someone out there needs someone in here to show an act of kindness. An act of kindness that comes from deep within your soul because of your love for Jesus. Because the kind of person Jesus was, the kind of God Jesus was, the kind of man Jesus was, showed over and over and over again. There is no limit, there is no boundary to kindness shown to another. And those acts of kindness stacked up together point a person to Jesus Christ. When we do something kind, we look good. But more than that, when we do something kind, Jesus looks good. Let's show Jesus Christ off. Let's show the world what he looks like. In the first century Rome, sometimes the Greek followers got confused between two words. The word Christos, which means Christ or Jesus, sometimes they got that confused with the word Christos, which means kindness. Let's see how many people we can confuse this week, shall we? Bow your heads, please. Father, um, we desire to have this heart of kindness that is so real and so alive that it just simply pours out of us. Not because we want people to see us, but because we want them to see you. Lord, may we have a conspiracy of kindness at Hope Covenant Church. May we go home today and decide who we're going to call or email or do something for that will spread the kindness of Jesus Christ. May we do that with the spirit of joy, with the spirit that the spirit of God is alive in us and he's big in us and he's challenging us to do something big for his kingdom. Father, may we spread kindness everywhere we go for we pray these things. In the precious name of Jesus and all of God's people together said, Amen. Amen.